0: Listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey, Scott! Back on the Pipeline Show. And we begin this week's episode with another uh, NCAA Campus Report segment. That Those are always brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have a player in your family that is exploring all their options and need to know what they need to do or not do in order to maintain their NCAA eligibility, well, College Hockey, Inc. is a great place to uh, start. Get in touch with Mike Snee or Nate Ewell, and they can steer you in the right direction or answer any questions that you might have. The college hockey segment today, my guest is uh, Jashvina Shaw, who writes for College Hockey News and covering the Big Ten. But I know uh, she went to BU and so has an interest in the bean pot. And I uh, I noticed a tweet last night uh, on uh, Twitter I, at Ice Hockey Stick, is uh, Jashvina's uh, Twitter handle. If BU loses tonight, my soul will collapse. Uh, Josh Fiena, maybe we have to start with the bean pot. How's your soul tonight?
1: Well, that too was actually in reference to the women's game, because technically I'm not allowed to root for the men, because I do cover <laughs> men's college hockey. Okay. Um, but it's, it's still, it's tough, I think, to, I mean, you know, I went through it as a student a lot of times, uh, losing in overtime, losing to DC in overtime in the bean pot, which is like the worst way to lose. Um, and it's just, I don't know, like, it's a weird thing, and it's really hard to explain to someone who's not, like, from a bean pot school, like, why it matters so much, but it's just, it just matters a lot. So, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been tough, but also the fact that it ended so late means that I kind of just, like, dazed through all of it, so it hasn't really hit me.
0: The, be- the bean pot tournament itself, it is probably very difficult to explain the importance and the popularity of it to people outside of that market. It's kind of like try, some, maybe somebody playing Minnesota high school hockey to explain what that is like, the high school circuit in Minnesota. How would you kind of uh, try to break it down for somebody who is not familiar with the bean Put and, and uh, just give them a, uh, an impression of how big of a deal it is?
1: It's been going on for a really long time, and it's basically like it's all Boston, so it's the – well, I mean – B.C. is technically not in Boston, but (laughs) Um, it's basically just bragging rights for the city. And it's kind of like. I think part of the reason it holds so much meaning is because at least previously, maybe now it's it's getting a little bit different. But, you know, a lot of kids who would come play for Harvard, Northeastern, BU, BC were all Massachusetts kids. They were local kids. So mm-hmm. this was a tournament that they grew up watching. So it was a tournament that they loved. And then it's kind of like a very big hometown thing. So it's like your hometown rivalry and it's just i think that's part of the reason why it matters so much and that kind of just gets passed down from generation to generation like it's just it's just a really big thing for the schools it's a really big thing for the players it becomes a big thing for the fans
0: josh Fiena shaw from college hockey news my guest uh now you cover the big 10 for college hockey news although i just saw you posted a story Uh, very recently uh, about Hockey East and Mm -hmm. potential changes, but the unlikelihood of those changes actually happening. Can you summarize that story for us?
1: Yeah, basically, um, it's about the news that Hockey East could potentially disband and be absorbed into a different Mm -hmm. conference like in America East. And basically, I argued that it's really not. I mean, it's probably not going to happen. It would be a bad move if it did happen. Um, I did work for a conference the size of America East, and I can tell you right now, there may be more resources, but that there are also more sports. So those resources are really divided. And at the end of the day, it's kind of a wash. You're not going to get more, Mm. um, when you're with a a different conference, like a multi-sport conference, than if you're with just a hockey specific conference. And, but it's not about that. It's really about what hockey is wants to accomplish and what they're not doing to accomplish, but what they can do. Like the gold standard right now is the NCHC. There's no question about it. Um, because, And basically, you know, I talked about them and what they've done, and that's what all the other conferences need to gear towards. And in some cases, I think it it was easier for the NCHC to do because it was a brand new conference. So they weren't carrying any of like that very stubborn identity with them. You know, it's not like you're going to a Hockey East and saying like, hey, we need you to be really interactive and silly on social media. It's Hockey East, you know, that's mm-hmm. not really going to fly. But with the NCH, so you're starting from scratch. They don't have that kind of tradition. So for them, it was I think it makes it a little bit easier to go and be really fan first and like engagement first, because ultimately, like, you know, I can stream anything I want online. And I think with the shift in conferences, like I think, you know, we just wrote that story on attendance. Like it's tough to get people's interest right now. So you really have to like go above and beyond. And people care about having a community and like being silly and like having fun and having that engagement.
0: Uh, you're right. And attendance, it's not just a college hockey thing. I think it's sports in mm-hmm. general. And because of what you said, you can watch all of these things online or on your phone or in your tablet. It doesn't matter. You don't have to go to the game to watch the game anymore, and I think that's a challenge uh, for everybody. Now, you cover the Big Ten, and Big Ten gets a mention in that article that you wrote and and suggested that uh, they're falling a little bit behind in regard, and, and unlike the NCHC, maybe don't engage the fan as much as you think they should. and. It's also a, a big conference that where hockey is kind of small in the Big Ten in general. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think from the start, the Big Ten kind of just assumed, I mean, this is all my speculation, um, because what I observed, which is not speculation, they didn't really do anything um, to kind of, like, you know, really push the Big Ten hockey when it was formed. And I think that's partly because, like, they just kind of assumed they would rely on the Big Ten name, and they assumed that was enough. But college hockey is so vastly different from college football and college basketball that it doesn't work the same way. And they kind of really missed the boat on gaining that, like, really – and they really had to push because, you know, they had Minnesota fans who were very unhappy with losing their old rivals. So, you know, the Big Ten wasn't exactly in the best position where they could just – go with it and it would be fine. You know, they had to really work on that and they didn't, you know, if you look at like being in, I remember when we were in Minneapolis for the inaugural big 10 tournament because, okay. So the inaugural big 10 tournament was in St. Paul, the inaugural NCHC tournament was in Minneapolis. And like, you didn't really, you saw a lot of like NCHC stuff, but you didn't see a lot of big Mm 10 stuff. And it's just kind of like that theme. And, you know, they haven't been able to keep the, that tournament successful like the attendance wise which is why they had to move it back to on campus and I think like they really missed an opportunity to be really engaging with the fans and like really making it that kind of community that you really need especially because for places like Minnesota and Wisconsin that literally is a community and it's a much different you have to approach it much differently than you would a different sport.
0: Josh Vina Shaw from College Hockey News my guest here on the Pipeline show. All right, let's look at the Big 10 hockey-wise right now. Penn State sitting on top of the conference standings, but a three-way tie for second, Notre Dame, Michigan, not that far behind. Really only Wisconsin has struggled this year. It's a pretty tight uh, pretty tight conference overall and that that leads to more excitement.
1: Yeah, it's um really I don't know who's going to end up winning because I think that a lot of teams. I remember that Michigan was picked pretty high, and I think Wisconsin was too, because people kind of looked at it, and they said, okay, Wisconsin is one of the best freshman classes in the country, so they kind of just threw Mm -hmm. them up there, but in reality, Wisconsin is just a whole other thing, but like Everyone, and I mean, this is like some teams that have been at the bottom are doing really well, like Michigan's kind of turning it on right now. Michigan State, I think, is probably the best team in that conference. And then, you know, Minnesota's kind of getting their footing back. But then Notre Dame is sort of struggling. Ohio State is sort of struggling. So now all the teams have kind of met in the middle. And right. you really don't know who's going to win on any given night. And because the way the format has changed so that we do um, now an opening round quarterfinals, best. Of three series, then the semifinals, then the week after that is the finals. It's like everything is kind of all over the place, and you have no idea where it's all going to land come tournament time.
0: I, I just had Guy Godowski on the show last week, and uh, but I and he agreed. I I said Michigan State's got to be one of the best stories because they've been a bottom feeder for you know five or six years now, and are now really they've turned the corner. What has Danton Cole done there as the head coach to really turn that that program around?
1: I think you could really see it from the first year he took over. Um, you can generally tell within the second semester of a coach's time, um, whether or not it's really going to be a change. And I mean, you could just tell, like, the players looked way more invested. They were working harder offense. Like, they were actually like a team. You know, they could play much better on the offense. And I think that was like a big thing is, um, they were kind of melding both defense and offense. Or if you, if you looked at teams, um, under Tom Manassas, it was, they weren't, their offense really just wasn't there. Like sometimes they did have the talent, but they just weren't able to be a cohesive unit. And under Cole, I think that's one of the really big things that um they managed to do. And he's getting a lot out of his players who he didn't even recruit, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I think really like, you know, he's got a lot of experience, you know, coaching younger kids, developing them. And I, you know, he has some ties to this team and I think he's very invested and it's just like, he's the the focus that he's had with the team and like it, it's just it's kind of hard to explain but it's been there since day one and I think now as he gets more acclimated to the team the team gets more acclimated to him it's really starting to show um, itself in the standings.
0: how are the golden gophers different under Bob Moscow than they were under uh, coach Lucia for for so many years they it seems like the gophers are still trying to kind of find their way
1: yeah, I'm still not entirely sold on that yet. Um, I'm still kind of looking at it with the thing with Moscow is that I'm, I'm waiting for him to kind of recruit his players into the system and see how they work. I think Cole didn't need to do that to show that, or he, just the situation that he was in. Um, I don't need to see that from him to know that the team's going to be okay. Uh, just the Gophers are just very odd. <laughs> like, I mean, I I don't even know if it's like a pro- – like, I don't know what it is. I really did think it was a product of coaching because if you have a team that makes it to the Frozen Four, returns the same roster, and struggles the way that they did, I don't think that's a good sign. And I really think that does reflect on coaching. Hmm. And, I mean, I think that they're kind of just, like, still trying to find their identity. And, you know, Moscow hasn't been around that long. And, like, they're kind of in a transition stage where, like – Everything's kind of up in the air. I mean, they're still they still have some really great players that they're recruiting on a regular basis. Um, but they did lose a big one in Pit like last year, so I mean, I think as they kind of like they're like rocky and they're trying to iron it out and I I think Moscow's a really good coach, so I think that when he gets his players in and when they've kind of even that out and start getting their recruiting a little bit more I guess, because right now, like you look at the team and I think they've had good players, but I don't know that those players have all panned out to be who we thought they would be when they came in. So that's like another big thing. But right now, everything's kind of, they're very much a mystery to me. So I'm still kind of waiting to see what will happen with them.
0: Well, three more weekends of regular season uh, games to go and then the playoffs. What are you looking for? Uh, What sort of stories are you following here in the next uh, three weeks as the the regular season uh, unfolds?
1: Yeah, I think um Michigan State is definitely the top one. I I really do believe they're the best team in the Big 10 right now in terms of the way that they play, how solid they are, and a big part of that is John Lefman. Like he's been really really good for them in net. Like it's incredible the difference that in his play from this year to last year, you know, just with the confidence that he's been able to get for himself. Um outside of that, I think like, you know, a lot of the teams are kind of wishy washy, like Ohio State's kind of going back and forth. Penn State is too. Um, Michigan might be another one to look in because I was just talking to Mel Pearson like a I don't know a month ago, and he was you know he he made up a good point. Yeah, we're not where we are, but when they made the Frozen Four in two thousand eighteen, they weren't doing well in the first half of the season. They just got hot at the right time,
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: think that's really important to remember because I think any one of these teams except mm, I'm not sold on Minnesota, but Every pretty much all of these teams, except for Wisconsin, I think, can get hot at the right time. Um, so you really never know, like, and it's a one game tournament, you know, once we get to that point in the semifinals and the championship game, anything could happen. So just focus on the goaltending because that's going to be the difference between the difference for these teams between who's going to succeed and who's not going to succeed come playoffs.
0: Jasmina Shaw from College Hockey News is my guest. I wanted to talk to you also about just. Being a woman covering hockey in general and and your experiences firsthand, what it's like. I know I've been covering hockey for about 20 years now, but uh, being a a guy and a white guy, probably have different experiences than you have had. Uh, What brought you to hockey in the first place?
1: Um, I actually grew up a big football fan because my parents lived in Cleveland, so we never watched hockey but I was born in Boston, so I was pretty loyal to all the Boston teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually lived where a lot of the players live. So, like, my dad's barber would, like, cut hair of the Bruins players, but we were just never into hockey. And then when I was, like, 15, I decided I should follow the Bruins. I'm being a bad fan. And then I started watching the Devils, and that was it. Like, I just had to turn on the TV one day, and I was hooked at, like, the speed of the game.
0: Nice. And you went yeah. to BU, so did you start, co- like, were you covering the Terriers while you were there?
1: Yep. I started covering, I covered women's hockey my sophomore year um, and I covered the men my junior and senior year. And by the time I left for Australia, my junior year at that point, I was like already just, it it was a part of me, like being around all those people and like the atmosphere. And so many people were so invested in that program that it just rubbed off on me. And I like really bought into college hockey at that point.
0: Nice. Nice. Now, I know hockey in general, and certainly the NHL has is, is always talked about how hockey is for everyone. I follow you on Twitter, and I see that often you, you talk about how, well, it's maybe not quite there yet. Uh, what still needs to happen uh, in, in order for, for you to be satisfied that the hockey and, and the hockey culture is doing everything it can to be welcoming to everybody?
1: Well, I think they need to, um, first of all, not hire people who've used racial slurs in the past, especially those who haven't shown any inch of growth or who haven't even apologized to the player they victimized. Um, I am talking about John Van Biesbrook at USA Hockey. Like, it's pretty low to sign a declaration of principles and then also still employ him. Uh, that's like a major signal that you actually don't care about minorities because you're prioritizing Van Beesbrook over, you know, um, Trevor Daly and all the people of color who look at this situation. So that is one of the reasons why I think it's more lip service done. And obviously this is specifically about USA hockey, but even in terms of the NHL, like, you know, you'll usually see fan, you see teams like throw out statements, like we care about inclusivity, but you can't be hockey is for everyone unless you're actively fighting against. Um, bigotry like racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, like you actually need to say we don't accept transphobia. We don't accept racism. You can't just say we we care about inclusivity because they're not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of just a way to pander to everybody and pretend you're doing something instead of actually doing something. And then there's really no, there's not a big enough effort to like, you really need to look at the people you're hiring. And to me, like that's the biggest red flag. It's like, are you hiring the right people? Are you hiring diversely? Are you supporting those people? Because instead of having John Van Viescoek in that position, you could put a person of color in that position. spot. And at the end of the day, like, the other big thing for me is like the education part. I don't really see them making an effort to educate players. And, you know, for USA hockey, like it's got to start at the bottom. Like it has to be done at the top too, but you also have to start with the kids when they're young. Like you got to look at who you're letting coach your kids, because if your coach is like saying things like what Jan- John Van Biesburg did, what do you think the kids are going to think is okay? And how do you think they're going to turn out? Mm-hmm. Like hockey is very incestuous as I like to say. And it's, around the same people like it's very insular and unless you are actively making sure that the coaches are the right people coaching and teaching your kids and like unless you're making sure that those kids are educated when they're young you know this culture thing isn't going to change it's it's not as easy as just saying oh like we're for inclusivity and we're anti-racism like it takes a lot of work and whether it can fully be done or not fully be done I don't know I know you can work to diminish the problem and I know that that work isn't being done yet.
0: Have you, on a personal level, had uh, issues because of being either a woman or a visible minority?
1: Yeah, several times. Uh, it's actually why I stopped covering the Devils, because I had a very not great run-in with another reporter while I was there mm. that could have potentially been dangerous to me. And at that point, I was like, you know, I cover college hockey mostly anyway, so I'm just not going to do this because I don't enjoy it enough to put myself in, which is a weird thing to say, right? I don't enjoy enough to put, be willing to put myself in danger yeah. because 90% of the time, it's like, whenever I walk out of the house, I'm always putting myself in some sort of danger. Whenever I walk into a rink, I'm always doing it. And that's just something like, you know, we live through it. So it's just, it is what it is. You know, you kind of just go about your business cause you're not going to stay shut inside. What kind of a life would that be? Um, but I've had, you know, people be racist to me. I've had, um, very weird. You know, people are being sexist all the time. Uh, very visible too. like people will be nice to you on the inside and then they'll just like be racist outside and you only learn about it secondhand um, or people will complete like people will stop talking to you because you're like, hey, this isn't OK that you said that I mean, that so and so said this because it's racist so it's it's definitely definitely really been an issue it's only something I think I've been paying more and more attention to since I graduated from BU because I think while I was at BU I was in that I wasn't actually the only person of color there I wasn't the only woman there I wasn't you know even on the team you know we had players of color so and you know everyone on staff was great and coach Parker was great so I didn't really pay so much attention to it until I graduated and I was like, okay, well, it's definitely, definitely not like it is at BU.
0: Well, and social media seems to be, boy, Twitter can be just such a cesspool at times. And uh, and I follow you and, and several other female journalists and I, I can see some of the harassment and, and just gross vulgarities that uh, that you guys have to deal with. And I'm continually impressed that uh, that you even stay on the social media uh, but I guess that would be letting the trolls win if you if it uh, affected you that way. But it's got to be. I, I again, I'm just impressed you you're able to put up with it and continue uh, doing the job as well as you do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I usually would have, I have people to get off the of media if it's really bad. Um, it's hard to do kind of if you're like really combative and you have a lot of pride because you're like, I don't want to show that I've lost, but mm-hmm. you should really just take the L and lock your account and walk away sometimes because that's just much better for your health, which I actually am off social media more now than I used to before. Um, I'm also much busier than I was before. And I'm, you know, like more often than not, I'll try to stay out of it. But sometimes I see things that are really, really just, I can't, let it go so I have to like engage with the person and I mean it doesn't really bother me per se like a lot of the stuff I get like at this point I'm kind of desensitized to it so I'm just like whatever it doesn't really get to me Hmm. (laughs) so it's just like I don't know. It is what it is. Like I, I have eighty thousand other things on my plate. You know, I have a full time job, so like, <laughs> I, I don't have as much that as much time anymore to really like dedicate to being specifically upset about the things people say to me. If that makes sense.
0: Yep, for sure, Jashvina, I really appreciate your time. I also appreciate a couple years ago, uh, my wife is going through this Bollywood stage, and you recommended a, a, a long list of uh, movies for her to check out. And that went over very well. So I appreciate that. Uh, and if the <laughs> yeah, ho- <of> <laughs> if, if the the journalism career uh, changes for you, you could always be a, a movie critic or something like that, because uh, you pick some good films uh, for her. So I appreciate that, <laughs> and I appreciate your time. I hope we can do this again.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me.
0: That was Jashvina Shaw from College Hockey News, uh, recapping the uh, beanpot as well as updating us on the Big Ten Conference and sharing some of her personal experiences covering hockey in a predominantly male environment and certainly as a person of color as well. So perspectives that I definitely cannot bring to the table. Really appreciate her sharing some of that with us this week here on The Pipeline Show. Up next, another lady making inroads into, well, in this case, junior hockey, the first female coach in the history of the Western Hockey League. She is on the coaching staff of the Moose Jaw Warriors. Her name is Olivia Howe. She won a national championship with uh, Clarkson in her NCAA uh, days as a player and now on the coaching staff of a Western Hockey League team. A great story. Learn more about her, hear from her next here on the Pipeline Show. (gasps) Woo! on the end boards and turns it over peck forward comes around as woo shot he scores jet Wu snaps it far side over the glove of logan thompson and the warriors have extended their lead hi this is jet Wu from the moose jaw warriors and you're listening to the pipeline show Your weekend with Edmonton Oil Kings hockey at Rogers Place.
1: The Medicine Hat Tigers return for retaliation, squaring off this Saturday.
0: Don't miss your shot to see the WHL's most exciting team live.
1: The stands are going to shake with Edmonton spirit.
0: Oil Kings, Tigers.
1: The puck drops Saturday night at 7. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $20 a seat. Save on day
0: of game pricing now at oilkings.ca.